Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Hello. I'll, I'm going to tell you right now the, the, the energy in the 1230, I love it. I mean, you guys are whistling, you're laughing. It's okay to have fun in church. That's not a sin. You can clap. You can cry if you have to. If you jump up in the middle of my service, that will freak me out a little bit. So maybe, maybe stay seated. But it's okay to have fun in the house of God. Before I pray, I just want to remind you that we're going to be doing some service time changes coming up here pretty soon. July 8th, we will have an 8.30, a 10, and an 11.30 service. So make sure that you sort of mark that in your calendar and pick one of these service times starting July 8th. And then, of course, when we launch our East Campus in September, on September 16th, we'll have a 10 and an 11.30 that will coincide with those two right there. So we're excited about what God is doing. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. Let's get this thing started right. If you're ready to receive something, put out your hands just as representative that you are expecting something from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that we can be here and worship and praise you and learn about you in freedom. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that needs some fresh revelation, that needs a word from you, that needs to be touched, that they need to leave different than the way that they came, that you would open their heart, you would open their mind, and let them receive. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you help me uh, uh, welcome our internet campus? You may be seated. You remember in, in high school or middle school, if you got a hall pass, like what that felt like to, like have the power of the hall pass, right? You know, you, it was sure it was to go to the restaurant, restroom or maybe the library, but you would, your teacher would give it to you. It was signed by them. You'd walk out. You're in the hall. At that point, you feel like the assistant vice principal. You're walking down the hall. Like a teacher sees you, and they're like giving you a look, and you're like, respect the hall pass. I got it right here. <laughs> Pastor Tim gave me what's called a pulpit pass, okay? So it's a lot like a hall pass, and there's, there's a few responsibilities. I have one responsibility. You actually have two. This is coming from him. So here we go. Um, what I must do is I must feed them well. And so he, he asks that when we preach that we feed well. You have two jobs now. Uh, the first is you have to laugh at all my jokes. That's number one. And then number two, you have to say amen no less than five times, no more than ten times. Amen? Good. And then it, there is a P.S. If you don't, you'll be sorry when I get back, uh, back signed, Pastor Tim Gilligan. So make sure that you follow the pulpit pass. And then I put his picture on the back because I tend to go on like rabbit trails. And this will remind me to stick to my notes because uh, that's a good piece of advice that he has given us. And, you know, it's Father's Day, and I think it is so incredible that we have a spiritual father like Pastor Tim Gilligan, right? Is it not an honor that we are able to have him every week? And God bless you fathers that are in this house. I hope that you uh, have an incredible day today as you are being honored. Now, we're in a series called If We Were Honest, and I want to sort of help you understand how we got to this. Um, about two months ago, Pastor Tim let us know that he'd be taking some time off this summer, and so he asked a few of the pastoral team to come in his office. We had a round table discussion. He had sort of brought to the table what it was he wanted the series to be, and we were going to try to answer some of the hardest questions or the most questions that we tend to get asked here uh, in ministry here at Meadowbrook. And 
Um, so pa- two weeks ago, Pastor Tim talked about how to deal with stress. And then last week, Pastor Jordan Bell preached an awesome sermon on how to change. And then as we were at this roundtable, an idea was put out, which was somebody needs to preach one on how to deal with difficult people. And then everybody looked at me and said, Ryan, you'd be great at that. So I was the one that was asked to deal with difficult people. I went home to my wife, Leah, um, whom I've been married for 20 years in November, uh, that I, I've been with Leah. And I, I'm just, you, you can clap for that. It's a big deal. It is a big deal that she's been with me for 20 years. And as I was there, I said, I said, Leah, Pastor Tim invited me to preach. And she said, well, that's cool. What are you preaching on? I said, I'm going to be preaching on a series or a, title, a, a, a message called How to Deal with Difficult People. And she said, I should be preaching that sermon, not you. <laughs> so that is just uh, sort of where I'm coming from. I have been, uh, I don't feel like I'm difficult. I feel like I was sort of maybe cursed with the resting grumpy face. Is there any resting grumpy faces here? It makes us look like we're difficult or we're sad or we're mad, and we're, we're just not. Um, we, just, we just get a little focused, and um, we, we look like we're really intense. And sometimes I'll be in the lobby, walking down the lobby, and some of you may have done this to me. And I'll tell you how it makes me feel. I'll be walking, I'm like zoned in, and somebody says, Pastor Ryan, smile. And it's like, i got to get a crank out and smile at that point. I'm trying to do my best to smile. And it's not that I'm upset. I am just one of those people who is pretty intense about things, and I just I tend to put that on my face. But as we talk about dealing with difficult people, I really, as I was preparing, I have a prayer that I've been praying, and, and it's this. I pray that today as you leave, you'll take away some applicable concepts on how to deal with difficult people, because ultimately that will help you deal with difficult situations in your life. And so that really is my, my hope and prayer that you take away this today. And I, I think w- when we're talking about the context of people, I know something that's very difficult for me is people anxiety. You know, I don't think that there's really any other kind of anxiety like people anxiety. Um, whether you're having a difficult conversation with a coworker, diff- difficult phone call. Um, I remember the day that I sort of like got plagued, I guess you could say, with what I call social anxiety. Interestingly, I've, I've got a little bit of social anxiety and I'm an introvert. And people say, and you're a pastor? And I say, yeah, God's got a sense of humor. So it doesn't make me broken, it just makes me who I am. I am different than you. But I was in middle school, and I was in middle school love with a girl, and um, I wanted to, you know, ask her out, and I, I didn't know the rules back then. I wasn't the Casanova I am today, so I didn't know how this stuff worked. Um, and so I just walk up to her. I said, hey, will you be my girlfriend? This is a direct quote. This is what she says. Oh, Ryan, ha, 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 and walks away. That was it. That was the day that I experienced rejection. And I think that planted a seed in me that has created some kind of social anxiety. I am fearful of being rejected. I am fearful of embarrassing myself and saying something stupid. And most importantly, and I think a few of you might identify with this, here is my biggest phobia in life. Calling somebody by the wrong name. Seriously. It scares me like, what if I call them the wrong name? So, I've been known to know people for years, and I know what their name is, but deep down inside, I'm like, but what if it's not their name, and then I don't call them by name? I've known Pastor Tom Fox for like 12 years. I just started calling him Tom like two weeks ago. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And so um, I think that these anxieties that we deal with, they, they're, they're real. And probably most importantly, or more importantly, they're in our 
married life, they're in our family life, they're in our close-knit relationships. We can have the, the, uh, some tension in, in these, these tight relationships. And since it's Father's Day, I wanted to give a little piece of advice. I know not everybody in here is a father or a husband, so, but I'm going to speak to husbands and fathers and then any other guy in the room. If you'll listen to these words I'm about to tell you, after I'm done with this, you could probably leave and you got the best part. I'm going to give you the six golden words. If you can remember this, this is going to take care of 90% of your problems. All I need you to do is say these lines with me, guys. So here's the six words. You say, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You say those six words, about 90% of your problems are gone. I'm serious. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Relationships are the greatest part of life. They're also the most difficult part of life. The best thing I ever did was when I married my wife 20 years ago. Um, I've known her since she was four and a half. We grew up in church together. I was her youth leader. I know that sounds weird, but then I, I wasn't her youth leader when we started dating. And I was a young youth leader. Yeah, it's fine. Trust me. We fell in love. We've been, we've been together 20 years. The next best thing I did is we've had two kids. I've got a great 18-year-old kid who's in college, and I know I'm looking way too young to have an 18-year-old, but it, it's true. And then I've got a 15-year-old kid, both my boys there, my pride and my joy, and I absolutely love this part of my life. It brings me the most amount of joy. But the reality is, is it can also bring about difficult parts of life because when you're dealing with people you love, that can also create stress and tension in your life. And the quality of life usually is in direct connection to the relationships in our life. When there's a lack of peace in our relationships, there's a lack of peace in our life. And Pastor Tim says something every single week, twice during a service. He'll say, peace, peace to your house, peace. And if we don't have peace in our relationships, we won't have peace in our house. And that's what I'm hoping that we discover today. The reason why we have difficulties with others is because they're different than us. The problem is, is they're just not perfect like we are, right? And that creates more tension. But these differences are important. God has planned it this way. It's like, um, again, with, with my wife and I, when we were dating, everybody dating puts their best foot forward. You do the best you can. If you're sitting next to your girlfriend right now, guys, the reality is, is you put on deodorant today and you took a shower, you brushed your teeth, you're doing your best. But when you get married, ladies, I can't promise they're going to do those things. There's some changes. And you begin to realize that there's some differences that you two have. When Leah and I got married, like the very first night, I discovered something about us where we're different. At nighttime, when she goes to bed, she's very, very cold, and I'm very, very hot. So she is covered with blankets, and I need a fan on and the air conditioner at 68 and I don't want blankets. But it doesn't, it gets actually more weird. The next day, for some reason, in the mornings only, she is super hot and I am super cold. So I, need, I have all the blankets on. She has no blankets. We get in the car to go to work. She's blasting the AC in the middle of even like Florida winter and it's still a little chilly. And so we have this reversal and we didn't figure that out, of course, until we got married. Another difference we have is the way that we shop. 
So the first time that she went grocery shopping without me, she came home and she was unloading the groceries and she pulled out a box of cereal and it was a generic box of cereal. And my mom didn't buy generic cereal. I got like the real Lucky Charms and stuff. And so I, I'm looking at this box and I said, I said, Leah, that's, that's, that's fake cereal, man. That's not right. And she said, Ryan, they put the same cereal in a cheaper box and they sell it for half the price. And I said, I guarantee you there's not two scoops of raisins in that box. It can't be that cheap and they still have the two scoops. So we had a difference there. She's super detail-oriented, okay? She is very meticulous. On her own uh, decision, she'll go out sometimes into my garage and she'll, she'll put the tools in order and like screwdrivers and stuff like that. And when I'm working and I'm wrenching away, I just throw them. And if they get in that general direction, I'm good. I'm like, a, a, I'm like high in the air. I'm a 100,000-foot view kind of guy. She's always thinking about what's next. She wants to know what we're going to do tomorrow. I'm still trying to figure out what we did yesterday. So we just, we have differences. But here is the best part about how God has designed us. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. That when we are different, but we are together, we are better. We are stronger. We become more complete. And this isn't just in context of marriages. This goes beyond that. It goes into any form of your relationship. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about strands of a cord when they're tied together. They're strong. It can't be broken. And that goes to teamwork in your organization, wherever you may work. We are truly better together. And God has designed us to be different because we all have different personalities. There's a thing called a DISC assessment. It, it's this really neat test that we actually give for free in Growth Track. So I would encourage you to check out Growth Track if you haven't. And you could take this test. It'll show you how you are the way you are, why you are the way you are. And if you're with a friend or a spouse or you have your kids there, they can take it. You can compare notes. You can finally figure out why you're crazy and why you were made that way. And it makes a lot more sense at times. But we're all very different. And I wanted to highlight a few of these personality differences, and I thought I would use the most popular pop culture relevant way right now, which is through comic book characters, because Disney is making a killing on comic book movies right now. So I wanted to take a, a look at a few comic book characters. So first of all, the personality of Batman. He's dark. He's mysterious. He wears a mask. He talks like this. How you doing, Batman? Okay. So he's, you know, he's just that way, and you might know a Batman. Next, we have Joker. He's the Joker. He makes fun of everything. He's a practical Joker. He leaves weird things in your chair, and you sit on it, and you're mad at him, and you can't stand that guy. I hate practical jokes, by the way, just saying. Uh, there's the Joker. Who else we got? We've got Wolverine. He's sort of like a dual personality kind of guy. One minute, he seems like this warm, fuzzy, friendly dude, and the next minute, blades are shooting out of his fist, and he's ready to slash at people. So, I mean, there is some people we know like that. Iceman, he's cold. You know, you walk up to Iceman, and he sort of turns like this, and you're like, what's wrong, Iceman? He's like, giving you the cold shoulder. So, dad joke. Um, next is Wonder Woman. I mean, okay, all you Wonder Woman, y'all made homemade soap and wrote two blogs before 6 a.m., all right? You're overachieving. You, you ran a full marathon pushing a stroller. We get it. You are amazing. You're a Wonder Woman. And a lot like then Superman, I mean, he's, you know, he's charming. He's beautiful. He's perfect. He's a one-upper. He's always got to one-up you. It's like, oh, I got a new car. He's like, I got a new spaceship. 
It's like, Superman, why you always got to one-up me like that? But that's the kind of guy that he is. Then next we have the Incredible Hulk. So for all you uh, folks who drive and give in to road rage, um, you know, when somebody pulls out in front of you and you just think Hulk smash and you rip off your clothes and you start wanting to go to town. So we might have some Incredible Hulks in here. Who else we got? Then we've got last, Dr. Strange. I'm just going to leave that right there because you know who you are. If you're in the room, you're strange. So those are just a few of the personalities. In our life, in our workplace, in school, family, social platforms, clubs, teams, neighborhoods, there will be tons of different and difficult people. We live in a fallen world and relationships can become unraveled, so we have to peel back the layers to understand it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three passages right now. And these are, these are pretty tough passages, but I want you to think of it like this. My kids and I, we like to go in our backyard and get out a target. We have bows and arrows and, and BB guns, and we're aiming for the bullseye. We don't hit it very often. Rarely do we hit the bullseye, but we know what we're going for. And that's what the Word of God is. Sometimes we might not even hit the target, but we know the direction. We know what our goal is. And so I want to read these passages to you so that you can see what the target is when it comes to dealing with relationships in your life. So first of all, we have 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23 and 24. It says this. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Don't even get involved. Don't respond to the text messages. Don't send the emails. Don't take an offense on, the behalf, on, on behalf of somebody else. You know, that happens a lot. You see other people that are offended, and you're like, well, I'm not even involved in that, but I'm going to be your spokesperson in this, and I'm going to send some emails and text messages. We don't do this. This is a biblical principle. I was reading a biography on Abraham Lincoln, and he was known for, get, he would get hate mail regularly. People had, it was a very divisive time in our country. He would get these letters, and oftentimes he would read these letters, and he would respond. But for a lot of the hate mail, when he would write a response that was just as negative, he would fold it up. He would, this sounds like it's not true, but it is. He put it in his stove top, his hat. It's a big hat. They even said that he stored like the Emancipation Proclamation there for a while. I'm serious. And so he would put these letters in his hat and he would wait a while and he would decide, is it really worth me sending this? Most of the time he would realize this is not worth me sending this letter. And they say that he is known to have torn up thousands of letters that he wrote that never need, even needed to be sent. The book of James then goes on in chapter 4. Where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. Now right there, that's, that's an intense, very intense passage. Maybe in the context when this was written some 2,000 years ago, people were killing, but I don't think that's necessarily the application for us today. But we might be willing to kill a relationship to get what we want. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. It's the idea of being, oh, we got a little bit more. I don't want to forget that. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children. Pretty harsh. That's what we usually tell our kids. That's what he's telling us. We're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. So we live in this space of me, myself, and I. 
And when you're living in the space of it's all about me and I put the needs of myself before the needs of others, you will encounter, encounter difficulty. The reality is you will be the difficult one. And then last we go into a passage. This one's going to start rough, but it ends really good. Here we go. We got the book of Galatians. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Check this out. This word dissension and division, when that gets into a relationship, it's really bad. It's going to fall apart. If that gets into an organization, if you have dissension and division, you're not going to be able to work as a team. Let's keep going. And it says, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and Pastor Tim says, we got to be what? On the right side of the butt. So let's get on the right side of the butt. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let me encourage you with something for a second. The Bible is full of this kind of stuff that is asking us to do things that are very contrary to our nature. It says things like, be holy as I am holy, and to love others more than you love yourself. And these nine fruits of the Spirit, when you read these, it could be overwhelming. How could I ever begin to do these things? I can't do this. And God wants me to remind you, I feel today, that you're right. You can't do this, but the Holy Spirit in you produces these things. And I think the key to this passage is the more that you say, I can't, but you can, we see more of that stuff. But if you're trying to work out of your own strength, out of what you think you've got deep down inside of you, you're going to struggle and you're going to hit a wall. But when we become broken in the sense of, Lord, you've got to do this for me, when we humble ourselves, then he can begin to produce this good fruit in our life. So be encouraged with that. So... Um, I think that there might be three things that cause these people problems that we're talking about. And it comes down to this, and you're gonna, you hear this a lot when you're at church, things that stop us from the fullness of who we are designed to be. Sin, shame, and selfishness. Sin, shame, and selfishness. And as you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this is a very common theme. As a matter of fact, it starts at the beginning with sin. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They had one rule to follow, to not eat from a tree of knowledge. They didn't. They were, they, they, they were kicked out. They had talked each other into doing what they knew was wrong. It doesn't stop there. It goes right to Cain and Abel. The very first brothers, one kills the other out of jealousy, sin, shame, selfishness. And if you look at the Bible as like this chronological timeline, just about every story is dealing with somebody who was being difficult that was walking outside of the will of God. You get into Noah, and he was trying to just to be obedient to what God called him to do and build an ark. And all the people mocked him and made fun of him, wanted to kill him. You get to Abraham. He couldn't have a child with his wife. Imagine the tension that created. And he ended up having a child with somebody else, but then God did give him a child, and he had his son Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. They quarreled. Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. Esau wanted to kill him in return. So Jacob had to go run away, to, to, away from Esau in hopes of not being murdered by his brother. Then he lands in the middle of a farm where there was a goat herder. He meets this beautiful girl named Rachel. He falls in love with her. He wants to marry her, but their father tricks him. 
And the Bible says this, that he actually got tricked into marrying the less attractive Leah. This is my wife's least favorite story, by the way. So he got stuck marrying Leah, his second choice, but eventually got to marry his first choice, Rachel. And then through that, through that, through all that tension, then he had his own children. And this is going to lead me to where I sort of want to sit here for a second with the story of his youngest son at this time, which was Joseph. Now, Joseph was a man who's going to experience these things, and we're going to watch his life. And I'm going to paraphrase this because it's, it's several chapters. But I want, to, I want to sort of take us through the story of Joseph and see how he responded to these instances in his life when he was dealing with difficult people. So he was a, he was a young man, and the Bible says that he was his father Jacob's favorite son. Now, if you got more than one kid, I wouldn't tell that to your kids. I wouldn't tell them which one's your favorite. That usually doesn't go well. But he did. And he made a coat of many colors for his son, Joseph. But here was the thing about Joseph. He had a special gift. He had a special calling on his life. God had a plan for that young man, and Jacob knew that. So he had given him the coat, and one day he and his brothers were out tending the flock, and the brothers were sick of Jacob walking around with his beautiful, colorful coat, So, or Joseph walking around with the beautiful, colorful coat. So the brothers schemed to murder him. They took him. They threw him in a pit. They took his coat, they poured lamb's blood on it, and they took it back to their father, and they said, Joseph has been murdered, and they're going to leave him there to die. But then Reuben, one of the brothers, said, hey, hold on, let's get something out of this. Let's sell him to those slave traders. We can at least make some money. So they sold their brother into slavery. So now Joseph is on his way, and one day he lands in Egypt. And there was a common theme throughout the Bible as you read this. This is later in the book of Genesis, and it says this often throughout these stories. It says, but God was with him. So it'll say, Joseph was thrown in a pit, but God was with him. And he was sold into slavery, but God was with him. And then it says he ends in Egypt, but God is with him. He's sold to a man named Potiphar, who is an important official of the Pharaoh. And this man, Potiphar, actually respected Joseph, and he, he treated him well because God was with him. But the Bible also says this about Joseph, that he was... This isn't my quote. This is a Bible quote. Exceedingly handsome. He was the Brad Pitt of the Bible. <laughs> and, and, and Potiphar's wife saw Joseph, and she began to have an attraction towards him. So she was trying to uh, lure, lure him in and trying to, the Bible says, sleep with him. And he kept saying, no, he was not going to do that. He was not going to dishonor his master. He was not going to dishonor God. Well, one day while Potiphar was gone, Potiphar's wife tried to trick Joseph into coming and laying with him. And his coat, uh, not the color, color coat, but just some coat, was left in her room. And Potiphar came home, sees this. She blames it on Joseph. And so Potiphar is enraged and ends up putting Joseph into prison. So he's landed himself in prison. But God was with him. And even in prison, he was taken care of. Then one day, a cupbearer to the king was thrown into prison. And now the cupbearer had the job of drinking the wine and, and the juice and the water before the king did to, to see if it was poisoned. And if it was, he would die. And so that was a bit of a bummer of a job, but that was his job. And he was there, and he had a dream one day, and he wanted to know what this dream meant. Well, do you remember what Joseph's special gift was, is he could interpret dreams. And so he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. And the cupbearer's dream was that he would eventually go back into the service of the king. It came true. The cupbearer said, hey, Joseph, I will remember you for what you've done. I will get you out of here. Cupbearer goes back to work for the Pharaoh, but he forgets about Joseph. Later on, though, because God was still with Joseph, another man comes along. He has a dream. 
Joseph says, I can interpret that dream. And he tells him what the dream is. He says, oh, well, that one, you're going to die. That's a bummer of an interpretation. And sure enough, this man dies. But the, but the interpretation was still right. Then later on, Pharaoh now has a dream. And it's a very intricate dream, very detailed dream. And he's dying to know what this means. And then the cupbearer remembers. There was a guy in prison that could interpret dreams. And he gets Joseph, brings Joseph to the, to the steps of Pharaoh, to the king. And the, the Pharaoh tells him his dream. And, and Joseph is able to interpret. And essentially what he says is, there will be a great famine that will come upon Egypt. But if we prepare, we will survive and we will be well taken care of. And that dream came to pass. And the Bible says that Pharaoh so respected Joseph that he made him the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. That, that, that only the Pharaoh was greater than Joseph. Because he was obedient. Because he, he knew there was a plan. And then as the story ends, because of this uh, famine... Jacob sent his sons to go to Egypt to get food. While he was there, um, Joseph recognized his brothers. They didn't recognize him. I'll save this neat little last part of the story for you. It's a, Joseph plays a fun little trick on his brothers, but it ends well. It really does. It, it was, he was a bit of a prankster, I guess. And so he is ultimately reunited with his family, with his father. And it was all because Joseph was trusting God. And check out this passage. I want to... I Begin to close with this. It says, but Joseph replied, and this is in response to the brothers fearful that he would kill them for what he had done. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You know, when we're in the moment of, of a difficult situation, when we're in the moment of dealing with people in our lives that are causing difficulty and stress, I, I can't lie to you, it's difficult in that moment. But with each passing day, we can begin to look back at our, at our story. Just like Joseph could be way over here, and if he were to look back at every one of those instances, I was thrown into a pit, I was wrongly accused for something I didn't do, I was thrown into prison for no reason at all. If anybody has the right to be bitter, it's me. But I see that even though man intended harm, God meant it for a purpose and God meant it for good. It's because God had a plan for Joseph. And if we can begin to understand that, we, that God has a plan for our lives, while it won't fix everything, it'll make it bearable. Because I believe that in those times, Joseph, if he wanted to give up, and he probably did, he says, I think I am done with this. But wait, God has a plan. I'm going to be used. And listen to this. It says, the answer to people's problems, this is what I believe, the answer to people's problems is God's plan. Promise, check this out. I believe that Joseph had to be reminded daily of God's promises for him. Just like we need to be reminded of God's promises. And then, of course, he was in the presence of God. The plan, the promise, the presence. And I sort of want to make this applicable to my, to my own self. A long time ago, when I was young, I had a manager who was very difficult I don't know what his deal was, but he made life pretty miserable for everybody that was around him, everybody that worked for him. And um, it, was, it was true with me. And I'm, I'm one, of those, one of those individuals where I, I could be very loyal, but I'm still sort of a man of principle. And if that's wrong, that's wrong. And if that's right, that's right. That's black and white. And I really felt some of the things that he was doing, it just you don't treat people that way. So I put up with this for a few years, and I finally decided one day that I, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this and. He had an outburst, and I decided I was going to go downstairs and going to take five minutes. I was going to come up with the most epic 
awesome response that was like going to be like from a movie monologue like Spielberg would have written. And then I would like say this to him, his jaw would drop, I would either get fired or quit and I'd walk out. I mean, I was just absolutely fed up. So as I'm down there, I'm sitting down there for five minutes and start to think about sort of God's plan for my life. I, I really didn't think that it was his plan that I would treat this individual that way, that I would get fired because I wanted to have a family. I didn't want to not have a job. I was reminded in that five minutes that God had promised me some things I believe that he put on my heart and the way that he spoke to me. I, I believe that he said that he was going to use me to do great things for the kingdom of God one day. And I know that if I had done anything other than not surrender that day, that wouldn't have gone well. And then while I was there, sitting at that table for myself, by myself for five minutes, I was in the presence of God. And when I remembered the plan, when I remembered his promises, when I was in his presence, I knew the answer of what I had to do and how I had to treat this gentleman. And of course, I didn't go back up and return evil with evil. I was able to persevere through that moment. Now, it doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult, but here's what I learned. I started to apply this sort of like go-to move. It was like, that was like my thing from that point on. If I felt wronged, if I was losing my cool, if I was in a difficult situation and I was about to say something I might regret or put my foot in my mouth, I would just take five minutes, I'd walk away, and I'd say, is this worth it? 20 years from now, will any of this even matter? Is it worth me losing sleep over this thing right now? And in almost five minutes in every instance, no, it's just not. And so that's something that worked for me because it took me back to these three principles, that God had a plan, that he has a promise, and that we can be in his presence. And as we close today, I want to give you the opportunity, and I I sort of want to connect these three things to something here at Meadowbrook Church. I had just a few weeks ago two different people, completely unrelated, um, pretty much come and ask me the same thing. And it's the question that when I get asked breaks my heart the most. Because I'm a fixer. Like, like I want to fix things that are broken. If there's something in my family's life that they need fixed, I want to fix it. If I have somebody that I work with and they're, they're experiencing stress, it's like, tell me what to fix. I'll do it. I'm a fixer. And so when I have somebody come up to me and they say, Ryan, I have no purpose in my life. I don't know what God's plan is for me. There's somebody in my life that's sucking my soul away. I just, I don't know what to do. Pastor Ryan, how do I fix this? And in that moment, I always just, I want to come up with some kind of like super witty, super clever thing to say that if I say this, it'd be like, you go do this and life is perfect. But I tend to always go back to asking a few questions. And I did, again, these last few times, I said, first of all, tell me this. When's the last time you read your Bible? And I know I sound like a broken record, y'all. I know you come to church sometimes and you might be speaking to one of us and you're telling us, like, this is what's going on in my life. And we might say, when's the last time you read your Bible? And we don't say that to be facetious. We're not trying to, what we're doing is we're trying to get you back to the source. Because you're asking for the, the answer to life's greatest questions. And we don't have them, but he does. And they're in his word. So if you're not there, you won't get it. So if you want to know his plan, I'll say, are you in his word? Then here's the next thing. What about his promises? What has God promised you? And they both said something sort of similar. They're like, you know, I used to go to church and I knew, I knew this is what I felt was going to happen, but I don't even know anymore. And I'll say, okay, are you in a small group? Are you with other Christians? Do you have anybody in your life 
that could be good godly counsel. And when I say small group, I do mean the small groups that we have, but I also mean just do you have a, a community around you that can help you walk through these times in your life? And they said no. I said, okay, so you're not in the Word. You don't have the people that you need around you. There's your answers. But one last thing, do you have the presence of God? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? And they did in those instances. They said, yes, I believe that he's there. And I said, good, because that means you've got the right stuff right now. Now it's just time to recalibrate. And I want to encourage you today, if you are sitting here and anything that I just said resonates at all, and you're dealing with somebody who's difficult, or you're dealing with a difficult situation, and you're not in your word, or you don't know God's plan for your life, start at growth track. That'll at least get you started. Sometimes you just need to know, where do I even begin? Get in your word, go to growth track. When you get to growth track, they're going to help you understand your personality more. They're going to find a place that you're going to fit where you can serve because there's no greater gift than giving because you'll receive a lot more than you give. Then they'll help you get connected with other Christians, whether that's through a small group that we have or through the way in which you serve, so that when you're having one of those bad days, you can call or you can text somebody and you can say, I just need somebody to cry on. I am hurting right now. And they will listen. So that's my encouragement to you today. If that is you, before you leave, I would, I would say go to the lobby, uh, get signed up for a group, check out Growth Track. It happens in room 401 at 11 o'clock every Sunday. And the last but, but just absolutely not least is I want to give you the opportunity in the next two minutes to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior so you can walk daily in his presence if you have not done so yet. And so this is what we're going to do. If you would just close your eyes and Bow your heads with me, and I'm going to speak for just one moment. God, the creator, gave us his son, Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, when he went to that cross, he was dead for three days. He was raised from the dead. The Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. It's just about the easiest thing that we can do. And when you are saved, you now have the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life. He will produce all the things in you that you never could. And if you're here today and you're ready to receive the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, his son, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking except for a few ushers. Put your hand up. We're going to put a card. Would you keep it up for a second? If you put your hand up, I saw somebody put their hand up and then drop it. Just want to make sure we put a card in your hand. Do we have some ushers here? Keep them up for one second. And this card is just going to be a starting point for you to be able to know how to get on the right track, how to get through our growth track process, how to get connected into a small group. I'm, I'm going to take one more second. I still see a few hands. I want to make sure they, they get a card. This is the most important thing we do, so this is just something that I, I want to take one moment. So if you've, got, if you've got a card in your hand, you can put your, your hand down. And then when you fill that card out, when you leave today, drop that in one of our ushers' buckets. And we're going to get this information to, you to, to get you started on, this, on this, this next step in your journey of your life. So be encouraged today. God is for you. He is with you. Um, let me just pray. And, then we're gonna, and I want you to just repeat what I'm going to say. I think it's important that when we pray and ask forgiveness that we just, even if you've done it a hundred times, let's do it again together. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I commit my life to you. Produce the fruit in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you get anything out of this? Good. Thank you so much.
for being with us today. We've had an incredible Sunday, and I hope you have a, an incredible afternoon. Happy Father's Day, guys. Go eat steak. If you're a vegetarian, go eat whatever you want then. But I'm going to eat my steak. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.